This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. The law is spiritual too, which is why Lisa Fraley aligns legal steps with the chakras. Legally protect your income, work, and brand and raise your energetic vibe. Valeria Tellez interviews Lisa Fraley, the author of Easy Legal Steps That Are Also Good for Your Soul, Seven Steps to Go from Stuck and Scared of the Law to Confident and Empowered. Lisa Fraley, JD, is an attorney, legal coach, speaker, and number one best-selling author. She's also the host of the Legally Enlightened podcast on iTunes. As a holistic lawyer, Lisa blends her legal expertise as a former healthcare attorney in a large corporate law firm and the care of a health coach through IIN and Life Coach through Coach U. She's helped thousands of heart-centered coaches, entrepreneurs, and holistic practitioners protect their businesses and brands with contracts, disclaimers, trademarks, and more. Lisa shares her legal love through DIY legal templates, online courses, and one-on-one services, and spoken on stages from British Columbia to the Bellagio. Lisa's mission is to help small business owners understand that the law can be accessible, empowering, loving, and even spiritual, and she's uniquely known for aligning legal steps with the chakras. Lisa's a graduate of Case Western Reserve University School of Law's nationally ranked health law program and holds a certificate in sustainable business strategy from Harvard Business School Online. Meet Lisa at lisafraley.com. Here is the interview with Lisa Fraley. In your own words, who is Lisa Fraley? Oh, goodness. So I think that Lisa Fraley is a combination of a lot of things. I am a lawyer who comes with a heart-centered approach. I am a coach through a health and wellness background, and I'm a Gemini. So I have two parts of me, sort of the part that wants to help people uh, live their life and feel safe and secure in a really practical way. And then the part of me that wants to help people feel aligned and protected and supported energetically. So I'm an alchemist, I'm a teacher archetype, and I also have a little bit of maverick thrown in. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, easy legal steps that are also good for your soul. Seven steps to go from stuck and scared to the law of confident and empowered. My first question to you had to be this one. What is the soul? I think the soul is the part of us that never dies. I think the soul is the part of us that always knows truth with a capital T, sort of absolute truth, and the part that 
is connected to all other people and plants, honestly, all other energies and even inanimate um, energies like crystals and spirit spirits and spiritual beings, and that it, it unites us all. So I'm wondering if you can express with words what the absolute truth is. Yeah, what that is. I know, and I certainly am not the expert on what absolute truth is. I think <laughs> philosophers have argued that for generations and centuries. And But I think for me, the easiest way to think of it and is a lot of what you represent and teach as well is around the concepts of love and unity and peace and harmony. And I think for me, it comes down to knowing what's resonant as true and usually coming from the the higher frequencies of love and peace and kindness and respect. And it's something that you, when you know it's true, you feel it's true in your bones, but, but it's always positive. It's never something that is harmful. Um, I, and I'm not trying to sound like a Pollyanna or someone who's just trying to make everything sound good, but I really do believe that when we resonate with truth, it's it comes from a frequency of love and respect and peacefulness and connectedness. So that's how I perceive it. I'm, I'm sure others have a different opinion, but it always feels good to me. Does that make sense? Yes, very much. That makes me think about intuition. It is always positive. It is. And, and our intuition leads us often to the truth, right? With a capital T, the in, our intuition connects us to that, of course. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Lisa. I agree. So let me ask you three questions about life itself. What is life to you? Not what life is about or the meaning of life, but what is life? You know, I love that you pose these questions that I think are so important and that we don't always think about on a daily basis when people are going through their busy lives. And so when we think of life, uh, certainly there's many different layers of life. I think we have our physical life, we have our spiritual life, we have our emotional life, we have the life that I believe exists beyond our physical life. So I think there's Life can be described in many ways, but there's certainly, it's related to being present and it's certainly related to having an experience. And I think it's certainly related to us being able to influence or I believe perhaps co-create with the universe or God or higher power, however people t look at the world. But for me, I believe it's a co-created experience of what shows up for us to help us learn lessons or learn ways of looking at things or healing wounds. Or I just believe life is our experience, a totality of our experiences that are here to help us become a better person or a more informed person and that we are here to use our life to serve others and to connect and bring joy and love and kindness and really try to make a contribution to leaving the world better when we leave the physical plane than when we came to the physical plane. Yes, I love that answer. All it's right. hard to summarize, isn't it? But it is. I think it's very complex. And yet at the same time, it also has it's something of course very tangible to us that we experience every day and that we have the ability to influence i think the quality of it for ourselves i hear a lot about choices being able to choose mm. consciously choose yes beautiful do you believe that we all have a kind of unique gift and purpose Yes. In fact, I think we may sometimes have many gifts and purposes. I'm not sure. For me, as I started out by saying I'm sort of a Gemini, so I have multiple parts of myself. 
and perhaps, of course, others do too. You don't have to be a Gemini to have multiple parts of yourself. But I, I think that we have many purposes and sometimes we feel into or learn or our purpose is unveiled to us through different phases of our life. Like, I don't think we have to be here to have the same purpose for the entire length of our life. But I do think that it's helpful for us to tune into, again, a way that we can share our unique gifts and help other people improve their lives or improve the planet or improve our surroundings. I mean, each person decides for themselves, of course, what their purpose is. But I think if we are so fortunate to be in a position where our basic needs are taken care of and we have time to think about our purpose, (laughs) that we can, because it is, I think, a position of privilege to be able to think about your purpose sometimes. But I also think that no matter what any job is or what anyone does in this life, everyone can feel into what their purpose is and learn what their purpose is and then do work or live their life in ways that are aligned with what they believe their purpose is. What is the meaning of death to you? What is your understanding about death? Uh, I have not physically experienced it myself. I, I mean, I, there are people, of course, as we, as you may know, uh, perhaps yourself, who've had near-death experiences or who have had died and then came back to life. I've not had that experience myself, so I don't, I can't speak from experience. I guess my definition is that it's a pause. It's a transition from being in a physical body to having a different experience. That's one that's more united with consciousness or perhaps united with other people's consciousness or the greater consciousness. I do think that our soul does continue on this journey. Um, I'm not sure exactly in what form because I haven't experienced Mm -hmm. it to myself with my awareness. Perhaps I have Mm -hmm. from other lives. I just don't know that. (laughs) But I do think that um, death is really a moment in time that's a transition. And it's a moment to be sad. I think it's an and. We can be sad. Like I lost my father two years ago um, this week. And you can be sad to lose your my beloved father and be sad and I miss his physical presence. And yet I do see signs and know that he's still with me in a different form. But I think it's a very human experience, but also a transition into a different level of a spiritual experience, I guess. I like your answer too, especially the part you said in the very beginning about it is a pause. I never heard it that way before. Well, I think we all have our own, I love that, like I said, I just love that you ask all these questions of your guests because it's a beautiful way to pause for us all to pause and think about what these questions mean to us and all of your listeners to really see different ways of looking at the world and then figure for themselves what definitions feel good to them. So it's such a gift that you are sharing this with everyone. What do you love most about being a woman? Well, I should say um, what I'm very grateful for to be a female in this human body in this moment in time is that I don't know what that would have felt like 100 years ago or 200 years ago or 50 years ago or 30 years ago. But I was very, I'm very grateful to have been raised by two parents. Well, I'll get teary because I have been thinking about my dad a lot this week. But particularly my father, who wanted my sister and I, he wanted to raise strong women. He wanted to raise females who could have their own careers and know that they could take care of themselves and marry Uh, If they chose to marry, marry because they wanted to marry, not because they needed to find someone to provide 
for their needs, uh, like their physical needs. Like I was raised by parents who said a woman can do whatever she wants. A woman can take care of herself and speak her voice and, and use her voice. And I'm certain that contributed to why I went to law school, because part of what I think a gift was from coming out of law school is, especially as a woman, is that I know how to use my voice and I know how to put power behind my voice in a way that's obviously ethical and legal and helping people. But, you know, I'm not afraid to use my voice if if I need to. And that is a gift. And I recognize that's a gift and not every woman is given that gift or taught that she can have that gift. So for me, I'm very grateful in this moment to be a female who is allowed to use her voice. So my follow-up question is, what is the most challenging aspect about being a woman for you? I think younger, quite honestly, especially when I was in high school or college, or I was sort of a short, little, petite, blonde peppy gal who was very curvy and I felt very like I received attention from my body like a lot of women do. I'm not alone in this at all. And I think that's partly why I wanted to make sure that boys or and then later men knew I also have a brain. Like I'm not just a body, I also have a brain. And so while some women I think have their body be a gift, I always felt in a way it was a bit of a detriment in that it was taking the focus away from my brain. And I did not love that, honestly. But I think that growing up, I was able to show a balance. And particularly when I was young, working with CEOs or clients of the law firm who saw me as this little petite five three curvy blonde and perhaps might not have been as respected. But the minute I said, oh, by the way, I'm a lawyer, they were like, oh, what? Like they listened to me differently. And I don't love that, but I'm glad I had the tools to, I guess, overcome that challenge. Yes. Again, me too. (laughs) Sure you can relate. And lots of women can relate to that. Do you feel that, fortunately, we women still need to behave more like men in order to be respected? I think it's changing. Certainly when I um, worked at the law firm, the women partners ahead of me, and in fact, if you look at any woman in government, particularly in the United States, I can't speak for around the world, but certainly in some countries, a lot of the women leaders in government or business or CEOs are all very masculine because they had to be. They had to be. And yet our society sort of judges them for being masculine. But yet at the time that they entered those roles, that's the only way they could compete is to show they were as strong as the men. So I think that it's changing slowly, but I'm a believer that we all have uh, like the yin and the yang within us, like the divine feminine and the divine masculine within us. So we can show different the different parts of us when we need to and that yet we're still both like we're both halves and we all have both halves male or female biologically we all have both halves in us and so it the circumstance can allow us to choose which side that we show but i think we're moving hopefully well hopefully we're trying to move in a direction of allowing women to be more feminine in fact a great example of that who just passed away of course is justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg who was this incredible jurist, an incredibly powerful woman who spoke with a tiny voice. And her mother told her to do that for her whole career so she wouldn't threaten, so the men wouldn't be threatened by her power. And it worked for her for her whole career. So she used her feminine voice 
to yet push forth really powerful, quote, masculine law that changed the world for women. So she was a great example, but um, hopefully we're moving more in that direction. What is the meaning of freedom to you, Lisa? What is to be free? You know, what's interesting is that I was always drawn to um, philosophy and bioethics when I was in law school and college. So this is right up my alley, yeah. although I am not the, the, the expert in any of this. But freedom, um, you hit the nail on the head earlier, actually, uh, that I think freedom has a lot to do with choice. I think freedom is... It, it, it's interesting in the United States, it's a right, but I also think in a way it's a privilege because you only often feel free. Well, I guess I can't speak for everyone, but I would often only feel free if I felt I had choice. If you feel restrained, you don't, maybe you can feel free in your mind, like people have done before who've been imprisoned falsely for their whole lives and yet they were innocent, for example, like Nelson Mandela or someone like that who could keep the space of freedom in their mind, but that's not for most people can't do that with ease. Mm-hmm. So I think choice and the ability to to move about freely and recognize that you direct or co-direct your life um, based on what you wish to do, I guess is a good way to put it. I love the idea of inner peace being the idea and concept of freedom. Mm. Because it's so challenging to control our environment and the outside, I feel. This is why we're grateful that you're helping people to frame that in their own lives. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? Oh, my goodness. I think... Uh, the word that came to mind instantly was peace. It, it is the idea of like world peace. It is the idea of respect. I think it is the idea of you feeling more unified and united and respectful of others who may or may not agree with us, but yet peaceful about the conflicts. So for example, you know, one of the things I did love that they taught us in law school is that you could have a ferocious legal argument with someone and then go to lunch with them as your best friend. Because the discussion of ideas is not the definite, it's not who you are. They're just your beliefs. You can be dissected from your beliefs and because you can change your beliefs. So I love that I did learn how to have a heated, passionate argument with someone or a discussion where we don't agree, but yet still have the respect and the love for the person. And I don't know that everyone has can do that today. Yes. I think our world makes it more difficult to do that today. Do you have any idea why is it more challenging these days to live in peace? <laughs> I have several ideas about it. But first, I think that the there are pros and cons about the world of social media and the world of 24-hour entertainment, television, news outlets, because things have gotten reduced to sound bites. And also because if you look at the problems of the world, they are not easily answerable in a tweet or in an Instagram post or in a you know 24-hour news cycle. But our attention span has now been trained for this instant gratification and the, the expression of complicated ideas in really quick sound bites. And so what happens is the sound bites is so reductionist that I think it ends up being you're either for that soundbite or you're against the soundbite. It's less, there's less room for understanding the nuances of a particular either position or challenge in our world. And that takes a complicated answer. And I, I feel unfortunately that the reductionist view of the way we communicate now has made it more 
readily available for people to just quickly dismiss people or to cancel them. And we didn't ever have that 20 years ago in that way. And that's really sad and and frustrating to me. Although I do think there's obviously really good, beautiful things that come from social media and, and that we are, and news happening quickly. We get news more quickly. We connect with people more quickly. They're beautiful parts of it, but the, the sort of the darker side is that the, I think it poses more conflict. So one more question for you before we talk about your book. What is love to you? Mm, I knew you were going to ask that. What is <laughs> yeah, love? I had to ask that one. <laughs> so love in and of itself, I think is a really hard word to define because I think we use a lot of synonyms to define what love is and we define how we show love. But in and of itself, I think love is a frequency and a resonance of peace and connection and kindness and and a heart resonance, almost an energetic heart resonance that doesn't need words and yet involves things like joy and peace and care and compassion and kindness and and uh, all of the things that we think of when we feel loved or we show love or we express love. But overall, there is a sense of peace, which is your magic word. Um, there, I think there's a sense of peace that comes with love where we have an open heart and our frequency is very calm and yet very connected and fulfilled, I guess. Yeah, it's beautiful it. yeah. It's hard to explain, for it sure. Is. How did you become a writer, Lisa? Well, it's interesting. It's, I, I so appreciate using that word. I would never think of myself as a writer, and I always just think of myself as a lawyer. And what's interesting, though, is that the tool of lawyers is writing and words. <laughs> so thank you for that. I decided to write this book after I had spent a couple of years creating a course that walks people through seven legal steps uh, that I, I say are also good for your soul. Because I realized that as, as entrepreneurs and heart center business owners and healers and coaches and authors were putting their businesses together, there was an, act, an order of steps to take, particularly if they had a, a large online presence. And one day I was typing at my computer and I realized I received this divine download that the seven steps corresponded with the seven chakras. And I was fell, almost fell off of my chair. And actually this was terrifying because lawyers don't talk about spirituality. Lawyers don't talk about chakras. Lawyers don't talk about love. Lawyers, that's not what we do. And so it took me about two years, honestly, right before I was comfortable uh, actually writing about it. So I did what is the opposite of a lot of people. I actually already had a course created to walk people through the legal steps and understanding the principle that aligns with the chakra And then I turned it into a book and added more about my own story, my own experience in the writing of the book to talk about how I got clear and I showed courage and I felt not confident in how I became more confident and how I use my intuition. And I wanted it to be more of a holistic approach at creating a business that you love and also legally protecting it in ways that are aligned with the chakra and support your spiritual side as well. I would love for you to talk to me about chapter one, which is a website disclaimer and clarity. I'm really trying to understand more this connection, the root chakra and clarity in business and all that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't always sound so obvious right away. I recognize that. (laughs) 
So the reason why I start with the, at this place is because for many heart-centered business owners, one of the first steps that they do, not only working with clients, which is the second step, but the first step that a lot of people do is start working on a website, either a landing page or a starter website or just some sort of representation online that they have a business. And sometimes I think people do this because they're afraid to work with clients right away, but some people start with the clients and some people start with the website. So I started here um, to let people know that when you are putting up your website, I think there can be a feeling of being scared or not wanting people to misinterpret what you've written on the website or to think that you're giving advice on the website. So the first legal document that I recommend is that people have a website disclaimer on the site, which is telling people that they're not giving medical advice, that this isn't to substitute for the advice of a doctor or a therapist or others, and that people need to work with their own physician. And even if you're not working directly in health and wellness, but you might be more of a spiritual coach or perhaps you're working in the area of, you know, maybe you're an author yourself and you would think, well, I don't work in fitness. Why do I need a disclaimer on my website? I don't work it with health and wellness or nutrition. Why do I need a disclaimer? But when we when we're all working in these spaces where we're helping people improve their lives and coming from a place of service, we don't want people to misinterpret what you're doing as giving them legal advice or medical advice or psychological advice or any kind of advice, really personally. So the website disclaimer is the first step. And what happens, what I found from clients is that they shared with me that when they put the website disclaimer in place, that they actually felt safer. They felt more secure. They felt like their website wasn't just hanging out there with no legal language on it at all. They felt more grounded. And as we know, the root chakra is associated with things like feeling grounded and feeling safe and feeling secure. So the key part that stands out is not only having the website disclaimer help you feel more safe and secure, but the thing is, when you are creating a website and letting the world know what you do, it does require that you have clarity about what you do. Not what you're going to do in five years. You don't need a five-year plan, (laughs) but like you do need some clarity about what you're doing now and how you're representing yourself and what you're holding yourself out as and what your title is and how you're going to work with clients. And so clarity is the first step, at least some level of clarity to build your business, of course. Um, And that connected really easily to me with step one. Step one for the website is the website disclaimer as the legal step. Step one is getting clarity about your business. And step one, of course, is the root chakra in the main seven chakras that most of us know. Our ego just wants to keep us safe and mm-hmm. eating marshmallows. That's kind of funny. I like the way you phrase that. What is your idea of the ego? What is it? I love that you throw in these philosophical questions right in the middle of the conversation. It's fantastic. <laughs> So the way that I look at the ego, and again, I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist, and I've not studied um, psychology and uh, beyond psychology 101 in college and a, psych- and a, a class in law school around cr- uh, criminal law and psychiatry. But the idea of the ego to me is the part of us that obviously is conscious and awake, but that is connected to our sense of self, our identity, um, who we are, and also connected to our critter brain or our reptilian brain or the part of us that is trying to keep us safe. It's trying to keep us from making mistakes that we've made in the past. It's trying to keep us from doing things that will embarrass us or make us feel shame. It's trying to help us um, protect ourselves, really. It's a protector. And 
the ego also likes to have attention. It wants to be running the show. It wants to be the one driving the bus. It wants to be the one directing the way that we operate in the world. But usually, I, I personally just think it's coming from a heart-centered place of trying to protect us. It's not out to get us. It's trying to protect us. But when the ego runs the show completely, it can be very fear-based. And what happens is when we run our business or our life from a fear-based place, as you know, and I know everyone listening knows, but just to remind all of us, then we are putting that energy out into the world and we're, we're living in that type of a resonance. And so part of why the you know, I create the legal documents is to help create these legal containers like the website disclaimer to hold and support you and help you feel safe because we are we want to allow the ego and allow that part of us um, sort of related to the id to relax and to not feel stressed and worried and not operate from a fear-based place so you can go out and create and serve and have the business that you want to have. So the idea is helping the ego to just sort of calm down, (laughs) calm down (laughs) and let the soul feel comfortable to take over or the other parts of us that are here to serve. Uh, So you mentioned three powerful ways to get unblocked. So talk to me about that. How do we unblock that chakra, the root chakra? Yes. You know, it's interesting because I think what happens when we are building our business is that we are run we run into our blocks of things that we haven't healed. Who was it? Somebody said something about how you you really can't operate a business without realizing that it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life because you run into all of the things that you've been blocked about in the past. So I think part of what was helpful to me, and I can only speak to my own experience, but part was helpful to me as I was growing my business was trying to figure out what to do when I didn't feel clear. Like people will say, get clear, get clear, get clear. And I kept thinking like, well, how do I actually do that? Right? How do I do that? So there are a couple tips, I guess, or things I've learned. And one, the first thing is to really find peace with where we are now, to really just accept the situation where we are at the present and not really fight it. Recognizing that where we are right now is divinely inspired. It's exactly where we're supposed to be. We don't need to be trying to keep up with other people. Where we are right now is perfectly fine. And recognizing that it's the steps and actions that we're taking now that will manifest later, that will show up later, and that we just keep moving forward based on where we are, um, taking small steps about what's next to the best of our ability with as much clarity as we have now. But I think we pressure ourselves feeling like we have to have the whole thing figured out when really we just need to know the next best step. So that's the first step. And so getting accepting where we are, making the decision, taking action. And then the, the other piece I would add is that it helps to have support support of coaches, support of um, thought leaders and podcast hosts and coaches like you and helping us find ways to allow us to dive into what it is that we want to do and what it is that we care about and how we do want to make a difference. So I think getting support makes a huge difference because it's scary and it, it takes courage to to try to get clear and to, to make a decision and to move forward. So those things were helpful to me that I learned and hopefully they can be helpful to others too. The heart chakra, chapter four, you speak of the yeah, courage in the heart chakra website terms and conditions and privacy policy. The content has a lot to do with fear, too, overcoming fear. How interesting. So these two chakras are 
actually that have to do with having courage. And yeah, talk to me about the heart chakra and the connection with the root chakra, which I didn't know. Mm. Well, to me, I, I connect the heart chakra with the word courage, partly because in French, the word heart is core, C-O-E-U-R. And so courage is derived, the word English word courage is derived from the French and Germanic word core. And so they're connected. And I do think when we were talking about love, we weren't talking about it in the context of courage, but it takes courage to love because it can feel very vulnerable to love when you love someone or something and you're not sure if it will love you back or you know, if you put yourself out there and do something generous for someone and you're not sure if it will be well-received, you should still do that, of course, because you're coming from a place of being loving. But it takes, I believe it does take courage to love. And especially when we're building a business, we may have a very open heart and know where our heart wants to lead us, but we don't always have the courage to start taking those steps. And so the more I think that we we align with the heart chakra energy and really um, let the heart lead, we do diminish a little bit of the fear. We do let the, the love and the clarity that we are finding around how we're going to serve and how we're going to help and where our voice could make a difference, even a small difference in someone else's life or how we wish to artistically contribute to the world or help people with health and wellness or help them have a beautiful, better, better life, that we... I think it just feels scary when we're starting to do that as a business owner. It certainly did for me, even as a lawyer. Like I talked earlier about being a lawyer and having a voice, but I never had my own business before. I never had a website with my picture plastered all over it before. It feels scary. I'd never done videos before. So every small step, I think, just takes courage. But when we tune into the heart more, that when we get into the frequency of the heart and why we're doing this in the first place, I think it diminishes the fear. I love the way you say here, don't try to remove fear, just go around it. Oh, yes. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, I wrote a bit about that. Uh, Because we were talking earlier about the ego and talking about how when we are taking a step forward courageously to do something new, we will encounter fear. It's because it's outside of our comfort zone where our parts of us are trying to keep ourselves safe, but the other part of us wants to go forward and do something new. So, what I think happens is we want to find ways to sidestep the fear and go around it. We don't want to ignore it. We don't want to, you know, shame it. We don't want to diminish it. We don't want to just pretend it doesn't exist. We honor that it exists and say, hello, fear. I see you. I recognize you're here to help keep me safe, but, and I'm doing something different. I'm going to do something new. I'm going to turn up the volume on this voice that's telling me I can do this. It's scary. I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. I can make a fool of myself and I'm going to do it anyway because thank goodness for the internet and you can take it down tomorrow if you don't like it. So, (laughs) but seriously, like I think we need to find ways to help us honor the fear, but then just keep moving around it and, and move next to it rather than try to... Uh, shove it away somewhere because I just don't personally think that works. What are you trying to say is that fear never really goes away. It's always there, but we just transform those energies. Yes, I think we can transform the energies or we can help those energies not speak as loudly. Mm, Right, right. We turn down the volume on the fear and turn up the volume on the love. That sounds even better. It's not a replacement, but it's just um, a choice. Might go back to that idea of mm-hmm. choosing. 
Well, I also love just, I do love the way that you said that the energy could be transmuted or changed. Um, That's certainly another way, I think, to approach it. I don't necessarily know how to do that or didn't at the time I wrote the book. Uh, maybe I do a little bit better now, but that I'm not a spiritual expert. So uh, certainly for me, turning down the volume of one and turning up the volume of the other was the first step, at least, to try to keep moving in the mm-hmm. new direction. Yeah. I love the idea of asking the question every time I feel uncomfortable with the situation, asking the heart, what do you love about this? What do you love that's beautiful. That and opens. And then now I become a lot more creative. So in a way, it seems like the energy of fear can be transmuted and transformed uh, through creativity. That has been my method, I guess. Wow, beautiful. At chapter six, you talk about intuition. So how do you connect intuition and the third eye chakra to business? <laughs> Well, I thank you. I I shared in this chapter a story about at the law firm how I ignored my intuition. And I think uh, part of what is challenging is when we work in an environment, a traditional environment, I'll just say, or a conventional environment, a business environment where our intuition is not welcome it's hard to know and learn, I think, to trust your intuition. And particularly when it comes to the law, for better and for worse, you know, the the reason the legal system is built around showing facts and data is because for the most part, all people, provided they have their five senses, are able to agree as to what the facts and the data are by their own tangible experience of see, sight, smell, hear, and touch. So when we have spiritual data or spiritual evidence, it can't be involved in a court case because it's it's subjective, perhaps. It per, it's perceived as subjective. It could be a universal truth, but it's perceived as subjective. So I struggled for a long time with figuring out like how I know I have this intuitive side, but it doesn't have a home here in the law in a traditional conventional law firm, a traditional conventional legal system. So what do I do with that? Right? Like what do I, how do I do that? So it just took me a very long time to realize that they can coexist together. And so when it translates to business, um, my business, your business, others listening's business. What I've learned or what I have found is that our intuition can give us messages from our heart or from the universe or from wherever, but we can choose to listen to them as equally importantly as any physical evidence around us. And now I tend to trust the spiritual evidence at times. And granted, I'm not a lawyer who works in court or anything like that. Just know because it's not legal or ethical to use intuitive uh, information in a court setting. But I do use it in my own work now when I'm making a business decision. And that is very freeing and it feels really good. And we can all do that um, as we tune into our intuition and let us le- let it lead us and not just our rational mind. The question I often ask is, how do we know for sure when we are listening to the voice of the, the intuition and not our beliefs? You would certainly have much more to say about that, I'm sure, than I do and be much better expert in this area than I. I think in some ways it's 
different for people. But I do think that there are several ways that our intuition does talk to us and that we can hear it with whispers and nudges. And when we get quiet, we can listen to the space and feel into what feels resonant as that truth we talked about um, feels resonant. I, I do think that some people have different ways that the intuition expresses itself. I tend to be uh, on the spectrum of being more clairaudient and claircognizant. Uh, so I hear in my head words or I know a truth when it resonates. Uh, and so for me, that's how my intuition speaks to me. But there are many ways, of course, for intuition to speak to people. They could feel it in their gut, literally. They could see a vision of something. They could just, you know, have a feeling tingle come over their body. There's a million different ways. But for me, it comes through sound often. And also, I just know. I have a knowing that something is true and real. For each chapter, you also include the mantras. Yeah, I love that, Lisa. Well, I think, you know, anytime that we can help ourselves um, bring a sense of a reminder, a, a verbal reminder to ourselves to connect, I think it's a beautiful, like the crown chakra mantra says, I am connected, I am aware, I am present, I am wise. And when we feel into these words, I think as we're starting a new business, we forget that we do know more than we think we do. We do have so many answers inside of us and we are connected to the, even we work as little silos in our own home office, we are connected to each other and to the energy um, that's bigger than us. So did the, the mantras are there just to be a little loving reminder to people as, as they read the end of the chapter to, to help frame the content of the chapter. Yes. So we're almost at the end. I have a few more questions for you. I call them final questions. But before that, would you like to add anything or read a chapter or read a passage in your book? Um, I think what I would love to add is that I know that with a lot of heart-centered business owners, there can be a reticence to get legal documents or use legal documents because it can feel sometimes as if it's either sometimes people will say, I'm... Uh, operating at this spiritual frequency, nothing will happen to me, or no one will ask for their money back, or no one will come after me because I'm good. I'm spiritually good, right? Yeah. And so my reminder is that yes, and I have a huge lighted ampersand on the wall in my office because I think there's a lot of and. We may be spiritual beings and have beautiful resonance, and we also live in the human world and interact with other people. And from time to time, I always say that the universe taps you on the shoulder. When, like if someone does ask for a refund or someone doesn't show up for their calls or someone um, stops paying you, I say that that's the universe tapping you on the shoulder to show that there's an energy leak somewhere. Yes. Right? We're all growing and improving and getting more sound in the way that we practice that I think sometimes we have leaks. I think the human side comes into play. I think we have interactions. We can't hold a high frequency all the time. We're human too. We have emotions that run the whole spectrum. So the legal documents are there to be the containers and the safe space to help give you that security and support and comfort when we have those moments where we are confronted with a human plane yeah. <laughs> when we are confronted with human scenarios. So I think it's an and. I'm a huge fan of, of, of believing that 
the legal documents are there to provide protection and support on the front end to hold and support your business, to, to really let your business land and be held comfortably so that you don't have to worry and stress and go into those lower frequencies with your emotions. You can relax and let yourself spend your time focusing on the heart and focusing on sharing and giving and showing up in service and you don't have to worry as much about the human plane. That I think that's my uh, biggest uh, reminder that we that the reason why the spiritual documents are important is that hopefully you don't run into situations where you need to use them. But if you do, you do need to have them. It's like, we hope that we're going to cross the street and not get run over by a car, but we still look both ways before we cross mm-hmm. the street. It's just... How it works when you're, you can say, oh, I'm a spiritual being. I won't get hit by a car. Well, you might if you don't look both ways. It's just possible. So the same is true with the law. It's there to support you and to actually allow you to have some relief and comfort as you cross the street. And it is a business. I know a lot of us don't want to think that way. Well, it's an and, right? Like I talked about at the beginning, the law is there to protect you in the practical ways. If you need legal language to support you or contracts or disclaimers or trademarks or LLCs, it's there to hold and support you. And we are also operating energetically and operating in the spiritual space. It's just the experience I think we have as human beings. We're just both and, not either or. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? Success goes back, I think, to the freedom we talked about. Success to me feels like choice. It feels like, do I, I have a very strong work ethic. There's no question about it. I am a a manifestor generator. I love to work. I feel very fulfilled. It doesn't feel like a chore. I don't feel tired after working for 10 hours. I don't, it's life-giving for me. It's generating for me. For me to be able to step away and do other things and not feel like I'm afraid of losing that generative force, like to be able to transition it to walking in nature and going for hikes and sitting outside and spending time that people might think is, quote, relaxing. For me, it's taken me a long time to understand and feel that that's as equally joyful for me. But it is. And now I'm at this place where I feel free and happy to be able to work or to not to work or to, you know, um, show up in service or to take care of myself. And it doesn't have to be an either or. It feels like when I get to choose and still receive delicious revenue that allows me to travel around the world and um, take time off, and then I'm very happy. That feels like success to me. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? Oh, ideally, yes. (laughs) Um, I think, well, it goes back to the soul is resonant to me with unconditional self-love. The soul is representative of the love we have for ourselves. And it doesn't have to do anything. It doesn't have to be anything. It just is. And it is at the frequency of love. So on that level, yes. Um, On the human side, we talk a lot about conditional versus unconditional love. I haven't sorted out enough to know whether that's true. As a human, on the human side, we are probably because of that ego and and subconscious desires and the the desire of, of the body to live, right? Like the life force to live. Everything's conditional to some degree. You know, you can't, you must 
there everything is conditional to some degree. Like you have to get food to be able to live. You can, there is a condition on which you will live is that you have to have food. That you can't just exude unconditional love and live on the human scale. You will die. You have to, there's conditions for what we do. Um, maybe this is a different way of looking at conditional love or unconditional love, but that's a harder one for me. I do believe there's a lot of conditions on the human plane, but yet when we align ourselves with the energy of the soul, we are aligned with the unconditional part of ourselves that is connected to love. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? You know, I will say that, oh, I'll get teary again. My father is the first person who's been close to me in my immediate family who has transitioned on. And at the time he was ill a bit before he died. And we, for, for several years actually. And so he, when he did pass on, he, we had already created preparation for the transition. Like we knew his wishes. He had done things to the home to, so my mom didn't have to get a new roof and a new deck and a new carpet. And like, he had made all these plans. We had had conversations. We knew we had nothing unsaid. We, we, we were very close family to begin with and full of a lot of love, but just very like said all the things that you would want to say to someone if you knew they were going to die. And that changed things for me. So I am more conscious now about how I live and what you know, I'll hug my husband at night or snuggle in the bed and just think, wow, I know this isn't, this feeling isn't forever with these two bodies together, you know, like I'll cuddle and have more gratitude for being able to have that sense of touch. So I, I, I really have, honestly, uh, I live a life that I love. I'm very grateful. I worked really hard for eight years and worked many, many hours to build my business so that it would have the structures and the support to allow me to step away and to do things. And I feel very grateful. So, you know, could I stop eating some sugar? Sure. But generally speaking, uh, I'm very happy with my life and I'm very grateful to have had the opportunity to create what I've wanted to create thus far in my life. Very grateful. What are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Oh, wow. Whew. Number one is that we will transition from the physical plane, which sounds obvious, but it does hit home more when you have that happen in your own inner circle. You do realize it more readily. So that is one. Number two, that we can, I believe we can bend time. We haven't really talked about time too much, but like, I believe we can bend time to a certain degree. And we also all have 24 hours in a day, right? So we can't have more time other than the ability to bend it a bit. But on a daily basis, we want to be conscious of how we spend our time because we only have so much of it in a practical sense. So that's become more important to me is the awareness of time. And then what I also know to be true is when we come from a place of giving, but carefully not crossing the boundary of overgiving where it becomes a burden, but when we come from a place of giving, I do, I just believe it does come back to you. I believe that if you give out the front door, that sometimes you receive back through the front door, but sometimes the receiving comes through the side door or the back door. So if we try to live in that space of that high resonance of love and care and giving and generosity and um, helping. I do believe that we are 
Uh, that in and of itself is its own reward, no question. But I do believe also tangibly that we receive more income and more clients and more joy and more love. I do believe it just comes around. I worked, we didn't even talk about, I worked in nonprofit for 15 years as well as being a lawyer. I paused working at the law firm and I worked in nonprofit and then I went back to the law. And so I just think generosity is a huge value I have and it does come around. I know that to be true. Thank you so much for your presence, your wisdom, your beauty, your authenticity. Thank you. Mm, thank you so much. You are a gift to all of us to hold this podcast and do the work that you do and serve so many people the way that you do and come from this place of love and philosophy and really focusing on the big questions that guide our lives that we need to bring more conscious attention to. And you can feel your heart emanate through this whole podcast. So thank you so much for what you do. And obviously for everyone listening, thank you for the work that you do as well. We are all trying together to make this planet be better and help people live lives they wish to live to the highest of their ability. And when we all rise, we rise together. And we hear people say that, but I just, I do believe it's true. And so thank you. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me to be part of it. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah, I love that. We are doing this together. We are in this together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I have one more technical question. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Mm, thank you. Um, you can find information about me on my website at lisafraley.com, L-I-S-A-F-R-A-L-E-Y.com. You'll find my podcast called Legally Enlightened. Um, on the website, you'll find the ability to find my books, the do-it-yourself legal templates, like the website disclaimer we talked about. I have do-it-yourself versions and um, free legal tips as well. So that's probably the best place. You can also find my book, Easy Legal Stuff, that are also good for your soul on Amazon uh, as well. Wonderful. Thank you. And thank you so much, Lisa. We'll talk soon. Bye for now. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Lisa Fraley and her work, please visit lisafraley.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Bye.